0: Hi, my name is Cody and I'm on a mission to break the silence of domestic violence and sexual assault. This production is brought to you by Bolton Refuge House, which is located in Wisconsin. At Bolton Refuge House, we create a safe space through programs and services for all persons impacted by domestic violence, intimate partner violence, and sexual assault, and advocate for social change. At Bolton Refuge, we get a lot of questions in regards to what the legal process looks like for victims. So I thought, and yes, I do have those from time to time, why not ask a prosecutor these questions for a podcast? So today, I have my good friend, Laura Lee Clark, answering some of these said questions for us.
1: Hello, my name is Laura Lee Clark. I've been a prosecutor for over 33 years. For most of that time, I specialized in crimes against people, violent crimes, A lot of it has been crimes of domestic violence and then uh, probably 15 or 20 years also doing sexual assaults of adults and kids and physical abuse of the child. Um, And so um, how I came to this position is kind of a long story, but briefly I knew a friend who went to law school and that sort of opened my eyes to the possibility of a career in law. I also had worked on a Soviet boat for a while in the 70s, excuse me, 80s, and realized that how people are treated by their government is important. And then once I decided I wanted to go to law school, I absolutely had to be a prosecutor because the prosecutor is the best job in law.
0: My first question for Laura Lee was, how does a prosecutor explain their role to a victim?
1: Well, my, I have to make sure that the victim understands that I do not represent them, her or him. I represent the state of Wisconsin, so my role is a little bit different than a personal attorney would be. In a child, or excuse me, in a sexual assault case though, I have the power to do so. I would never make a victim testify if they did not want to because I think that it's just too personal and intrusive to require somebody to go through that if they don't want to. What I would try to do instead is work something out so we didn't have to have a trial. So basically my job is to do what I think is right based upon all the information I have, which includes the evidence, the perp's background, um, the victim's wishes, and the law.
0: Now we always hear in movies and TV shows that something's a conflict of interest. So I thought I'd ask Laura Lee what she considers to be a conflict of interest, and how are those conflicts resolved?
1: consider uh, a conflict of interest if I know... The perpetrator, if I know the victim or I know family or friends closely, um, I would not feel comfortable handling the case for fear that I would be implicitly biased or not able to be completely objective and professional about my job. In a situation like that, a different attorney in the office could handle it, or in some cases, we have a different attorney's office, prosecutor's office handle the case. Oh, um, I think maybe it happens a couple times a year. Not necessarily all in sexual assault cases, mm-hmm. but where, you know, if law enforcement kid is arrested or, you know, there's somebody's family member is a victim, we generally would have to conflict that out.
0: I then asked Laura Lee if she could explain what were the different statute of limitations for adult sexual assault and if these were the same for a child victim as well.
1: All right. The statute of limitations for adult sexual assaults changed um, within the last several years. It used to just be six years for any felony, but now for a first degree sexual assault, there is no statute of limitation. That only used to apply to homicides, but now a first degree sexual assault can be commenced at any time. The second or third degree sexual assault, the statute of limitations is 10 years um, from the commission of the offense. So there are some exceptions, like if somebody, if the perpetrator is not from Wisconsin and they were residing out of the state, that tolls the statute of limitations, Mm -hmm. but generally for first degree it's lifetime or whenever, and for second and third degree it's 10 years. First degree sexual assault is the most serious, of course, and it's a B felony, which is 40 years of incarceration and 20 years of extended supervision would be the max, and that would be um, a sexual assault that is creates pregnancy or great bodily harm, or a sexual assault that causes that is aided or abetted by a weapon, um, and then uh, gang rape. That's first degree. Second degree sexual assault, there's a wide variety of situations that can fit that. It's a C felony, which is maximum 25 years in and 15 years of supervision, that would be a situation where the victim is unconscious, where force or violence is used in the sexual assault, where the victim has a medical or mental condition that causes them to be unable to consent legally. Um, If it happens in a certain kind of facility, like a jail or a prison or a... Um, adult home um, or if the person is incapacitated by alcohol or asleep, Generally that's second. And then third degree is a G felony which is 5 in and 5 out and that is most of the time um, intercourse without consent. There's also some kinds of sexual contact that can be a, a third degree felony to, if, depending upon if uh, substances are um, land on the body of one, the victim or the but generally third degree is just intercourse without consent. Mm-hmm. And then fourth degree is contact without consent of an intimate part. That would be like touching mm-hmm. an
0: intimate part of
1: the victim. And that's a misdemeanor.
0: All right. This is my favorite question. What does the court process look like? And are there any misconceptions about the court process you want <laughs> um, us to know about?
1: Yes, I don't watch TV. <laughs> um, I don't think that TV accurately depicts mm-hmm. the court process, Um, I myself don't watch court TV or any crime shows because it's just too stressful because I get angry because it's not accurate (laughs) or realistic. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) so I don't watch that stuff. Um, It's long. Um, It's frustrating. It can be very rewarding because you get to see justice done. Um, Generally, the victim is not going to need to be present unless we subpoena the victim. Um, The victim is welcome to attend by any court appearances that he or she wants. Um, Now we can often accommodate that by Zoom so the person doesn't have to be in the same room as the perpetrator, and they can also do it without video so they can see what's going on without having their image being seen by the perpetrator. Most felony cases last at least six months, some of them up to three years, um, depending upon if a trial is needed and whether there's continuances of the trial because a witness isn't available or there's a court conflict. So it can be a long, arduous process, but it can end very sweetly in which people find closure. It definitely has had an effect on it. For about a year or so, there were no jury trials that were being held. So there's now a big backlog of Mm -hmm. trials that we're trying to get done. And that has proved to be very frustrating.
0: And has things slowed down because of that backlog? Yes. Yes. And I
1: know that it's extremely... it's just wearying. It takes energy when a criminal case is dragged out or when it's pending. Sure. so uh, It's it's hard on the victims. It's hard, it's hard on everybody, mm-hmm. I think, especially the victims, because they have no control over
0: it. I wanted Laura Lee to explain Marcy's Law to us and what effects, if any, has it had on the office.
1: Marcy's Law is a constitutional amendment that went into effect in May of 2020. I retired in July of 2020, so I never really um, got to work with it. While it was in effect, I became, I came back to being an assistant DA on February 14th of 2022. So um, I'm just experiencing what it's like. Um, Basically, it allows victims to have a constitutional right to being treated fairly, to having the case proceed at a good pace, to being listened to and heard, Um, it basically provides them with a constitutional right to those things. And if those things aren't provided, they have a way of complaining and getting them enforced by the Court of Appeals and the Supreme Court. Um, I think I've seen a case recently where it made my job more difficult simply because the defense thought it meant a certain thing that it did not. Um, So I think we're all um, experiencing um, a learning curve in dealing with Marcy's Law, but I think it's a good thing.
0: For my next question, I wanted to know what's it like to have a victim take the stand in a jury trial, and are there differences between an adult getting interviewed versus having a child be interviewed?
1: Um, I don't think it's fun. Um, like I said, I have done this for over 33 years. However, in that time, I've never had a victim say it was as bad as they thought it was mm. going to be. Generally, anticipation is a lot worse than the actual experience. Mm -hmm. Um, Having said that, I know that it's a lot easier asking the questions than being on the stand, on the spot, answering them. But um, I think it also can be affirming for the victim to be able to stand up and say, this is what you did to me, this is exactly what you did to me, and have the world hear the victim's voice generally before the person would testify we would have them see the courtroom go into the courtroom when nobody else is in there just to get a feel for the place we'd go over some of the anticipated questions and things that the defense attorney might attack or question them about and just you know give some cues on answering questions basically the simplest thing is to you know listen to the question and answer it truthfully it's a lot easier to say that than to do it though in terms of the pressure and the intimacy of some of the questions. Yep, we prep them, like I said, by showing them the courtroom mm-hmm. and spending time with them, getting to know mm-hmm. them, um, and letting them kind of know what kind mm-hmm. of questions to anticipate and giving them a chance at answering those questions. I don't coach people and mm-hmm. I don't necessarily um, go over everything, but I really try very hardly, hard to get to know the victim and um, prepare him or her for what's going to happen.
0: I asked Laura Lee if she had any advice for somebody going through the process and if she knew of any way to support a friend or loved one going through the court system.
1: Yeah, advice for somebody going through the process is to recognize that it's going to take a long time. Like I said, Mm -hmm. you know, most felonies take six months to three years. Most of them less than that. I mean, most of them are done in a year or Mm a year and a half. But it's going to be a long process. Um, The victim is going to have a voice but not control. Um, but the victim is going to have a lot of influence on how the case proceeds. Um, I think that victims should also recognize that um, the more they talk, certainly especially with casual acquaintances about what's going on, the more likely it is going to be the defense is going to try it, will find out about that and use mm-hmm. it against them. So I've had situations, really sad ones, like especially with Uh, Like high school kids who are sexually assaulted. The whole school generally knows about it. Everybody's talking about it. So, you know, certainly victims can talk Mm -hmm. about what happened to them, but, you know, use it with trusted friends. And um, otherwise, you know, words will get twisted. Um, So it's going to be long, you're going to have support. There'll be people who will be with the victim in court and there to answer questions, available to answer questions. The prosecutor is going to want to know what the victim thinks and feels and whether or not she wants to go to trial or not, and we're going to do everything we can to accommodate that. Um, Yeah, there may be times where the victim just doesn't feel that he or she can testify, and so we try to resolve that. The worst case scenario would be to let the case go. But if that's what we need to do, that's what we would do. In terms of how to support somebody going through the process, I think it's important to be
0: there and to listen and and let them vent. My final question for Laura Lee was how the heck does a prosecutor de-stress?
1: I de-stress by going home and acting silly with the dog. Nice. (laughs) Or to swim. (laughs) I found that the best antidote to a jury trial is to jump in the river
0: If you or someone you know is affected by domestic violence or sexual assault, I encourage you to reach out to our 100% confidential 24-hour hotline. That number is 715-834-9578. We have trained advocates ready to help. I'd like to give a special thanks to Laura Lee for sitting down and answering all my questions and you for listening.